1: To dear Hank and John, or as I like to call it, dear Brennan and Hank, it's a podcast where two brothers and sometimes one brother and a friend answer your questions, give you dubious advice, and bring you all the week's news from both Mars and AFC Wimbledon. Today, we are joined by Brennan Lee Mulligan, and I have to say, I was I like I like Dungeons and Dragons very much. I was once playing D and D, and I asked my DM about dark vision, and he said that it meant I could see sixty feet in the dark. But I was confused. I would like to see sixty feet in the dark, but there's nowhere near thirty people. <laughs> oh, oh
2: Joy. A straight up a straight up joke. A true joke. Just a just a capital J joke. We love it. <laughs> did, did you expect it? Did you know where I was going? Not not even at all. That would, okay. be, an al- that would be an alarming thing. Of si- si- seeing 60 feet in the dark is very yeah. upsetting. Also because the original description of Dark Vision is that everything is kind of in a grainy black and white. It's mm-hmm. it's sort of like you're in Daredevil's scary in mystery de- feet. Scary
1: mystery feet. Ooh, no, mm-hmm. thank you. Um, yeah. You see sixty feet in the dark and I'm like, do I have to kill all of them? Are they <laughs> do they have eyes? <laughs> do, can all- I d- can I do an arcana check on this? What's happening? It does the good horror
2: thing too of if you if if I tell you you see 60 feet it immediately <laughs> m- makes you have a psychological lurch forward because I didn't tell you you saw 60 people so uh, or 30 uh, people no. so <laughs> you know what i mean so so you have to so you have to yeah. suddenly go like wait but I, you, so i see feet do it, are
1: they attached to ankles can i see <laughs> shins <laughs> what <laughs> wait yeah oh. i mean they it seems like I would rather fight 60 feet than 30 people. Like, that's true. Because what can a foot do to me? Oh, God. That's,
2: I mean, that is literally the definition of, like, a monkey paw wish. That is, like, the hero. That is, is like, the thing before we smash cut to exactly what 60 feet can do to you. Mm, Um, Yeah. uh, yeah,
1: I don't know. We'll we'll find out someday on a campaign um, where you will throw a bunch of feet at me. That would be wonderful. I would love to p- play D anD D with you, one of the f- world's foremost dungeon masters. If you don't know, Brennan uh, does lots of funny things, but one of the things he does is r- runs uh, many different games, but uh, is. Always running some Dimension 20 game, which is just an absolute delight. I'm a big fan, and I'm really excited to have you here on Dear John to answer questions from our listeners.
2: I, uh, I'm thrilled, elated beyond measure. It's, uh, uh, there's, there's, it's it's a joy and an honor to be here, and I love to uh, help answer questions. I, I hope you're I hope your <laughs> listeners are ready for um, a nice chunk of me. As the philosophy, uh, the former philosophy major that I am, talking myself out of any possible answer to any of these questions.
1: (laughs) It's so hard. This is, yeah, it's like, okay, so we got a sentence and a half from you, and we're supposed to tell you how to live (laughs) your life? I love it. But
2: you know, the, hey, there's there's even something within that, right? Of of we get these questions, we get the context of them, but that's that you know, people aren't aren't always looking for the right answer, Hank. Sometimes they're just looking for no. an answer. And I get that.
1: Yes. And we can deliver an answer. Uh, Brennan, do you have any questions that you found particularly compelling that you want to start with, or should I go?
2: Oh man, I jumped into these, and the uh, the, the gamut that they ran was so exciting. All over the place. They're yes. all over the place. Uh, uh, I would say let's start. I would say I would say let's start with a nice, easy underhand pitch. If there's one that that you see that seems like, hey, this one, this one's maybe one we can like knock out of the park to get ahead of steam going here.
1: Uh, that's, that would be my choice. So this one is from Prahash, who asks, Dear Hank and Brennan, I know that white clothes reflect light and tend to keep you cool in the sunlight and black clothes absorb light and keep you warmer. What exactly does it mean for something to absorb light? Does that mean that there are photons somehow saturated in the fabric? Could I wring out the photons and they would spill out like water? What do you got for me, Brennan? Well, there's nothing kind of, uh, I would say my my response to this is is
2: a great point and and the premise of your question is is really appreciated and you know immediately I think I think Hank is going to be able to handle the science behind this but I think that we can all agree that there's nothing more sort of viscerally upsetting to see than a hot goth during the daytime and <laughs>
1: Temperature too. Yes.
2: Yes. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Um. I worked for many years at a live-action role-playing summer camp uh, called the Wayfinder Experience, and every so often, that's cool. Very, very cool. I, they're they're an incredible program that does uh, uh, day camps and overnight camps for uh, for uh, you know t- uh, teens and preteens. And we have all kinds of programming for stuff, but occasionally you have to play an army. Of uh, undead, you know, villains or other kind of LARP uh, uh, mm-hmm. things, mm-hmm. and sometimes you play them at night, where you get to be very cool and very scary. But occasionally, you have to play them during the day, and then what happens is you are dressed head to toe in black garb with you know, sort of, uh, uh, sort of, you know, undead makeup on, and it is mm-hmm. mid-August in upstate New York, and let me tell you, uh, black clothing really does trap heat, and it is hard to be sort of the terror of the realms, when you are truly just, you can feel sweat running like a coursing river down your back. Mm -hmm. You're like, oh, I think my body has a timer on it of when I will literally desaturate
1: like a hydrated, like dehydrated fruit. I'll just like shrivel to the ground and die. Um, Yes. I I was in marching band in Florida. Uh, I lived in Orlando and I was in marching band and they put on these, I don't know why they're, they probably are now, but at that point, they're I guess it was probably an upgrade from the wool that they were before, Mm -hmm. but it was just very heavy polyester, which, of course, didn't absorb anything. So you just, like, whatever sweat came out just came out. (laughs) It it was in there. It would immediately just be sort of, like, witched, and you're just—everything was wet. Or it, like, stayed in. It, like, wouldn't absorb it, so it would just, like, stay on your skin all of the time. Uh, But uh, luckily, our marching band outfits, and I think for a good reason, were white. Uh, because of this. So what white is, is reflecting all of the colors. And it's not reflecting all of the colors. Otherwise, it would be not getting hot at all, uh, except for through. So there's, there's two ways. Now I'm going to get super nerdy. There's two ways you get hot. So that's great. Hell yeah. There's the there's the air that's actually carrying heat to you. Um, and that's going to be there whether you're in the shade or the the sun, so 96 degrees in the shade or whatever it is that is in the song, uh, it, that 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 just gets to you no matter what. And then there's the actual radiation, so infrared radiation from the sun getting through the atmosphere, hitting you, and heating things up, jiggling atoms, because those photons, in the case of white, are just mostly going to get reflected back out, and that's what we see. It's reflecting all of the different wavelengths of vis- visible light. It might be absorbing some non-visible uh, wavelengths of of light. But there aren't that many that get through the atmosphere. So you don't have to worry too much about that. But there are some. Mm. And then uh, there are the, and then there's like black is absorbing all of them. And that's what we see is black. And so they're still going to be reflecting some because it's not like pure Vanta black or anything, but it's going to be absorbing most. And what that means is the photon is coming in and it is being absorbed and it's no longer there. So what happens is it gets absorbed by the molecule and that energy becomes energy in the molecule and that molecule or atom jiggles more. And that jiggling is what we feel as heat because that jiggling can then be transferred by convection into our skin and we feel that as as the heat. So the photons aren't there anymore. They they become they are always energy and they their energy gets transferred into a different form which is the jiggling of atoms and molecules which is the thing that we feel is heat. Heat is just speed of molecules, which is wild and does not make intuitive sense, but eventually if you say it enough times you start to believe it.
2: So and to break this down again as a lay person, as as yeah. as uh, as someone who, you know, made the decision for reasons, you know, that we don't need to go into here, but to to study um uh, humanities rather than the rather than the hard sciences uh what mm-hmm. what it seems like you're saying is that these these articles of clothing eat photons. they eat them and then they get
1: lots of energy from them. That's what I'm hearing in my head <laughs> yeah. yeah so yeah, so they're more they're full and they're gonna have to they're gonna have to go to the bathroom soon. It's like when my
2: nephew gets his hand on a fruit snack that we didn't know was out somewhere where he could get it and then he eats that
1: and then he jiggles and actually does become quite hot to the touch, yeah. Then there's a lot of jiggling. There's nothing like nothing like a nephew on a fruit snack. Yes, for jiggles for for the jiggles exactly. Um, Well, that's wild. So now that so
2: so light turns into heat as it gets as that energy gets uh, uh, turned is as that energy is created. And then is there a reverse process by which heat gets turned into light? Like for example, if we had if we had a a goth on a hot summer's day out in the woods. Uh Could he, yeah. could that goth become so
1: uncomfortably hot that they began to emit light? Yeah, yeah. Yes. Um, and indeed that goth is emitting light from their black clothing because, uh, but they are not emitting light in the visible spectrum, so we can't see it. So so if you hold uh, like a, a warm shirt up, you can put your hand in front of that shirt and feel the warmth. That's infrared radiation coming off of that shirt. So it's. The the hot molecules are actually jiggling uh and then they are re-radiating that light in a wavelength that we can't see. So and if you like pointed an infrared camera at them or like the James Webb Space Telescope, they would be able to see the hot goth even in the in pure darkness. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Very cool. That's <laughs> And and I, and I can tell and, you right and if now, if you get them hot enough, they will start glowing invisible light, and that, that uh, unfortunately, that is the kind of heat that uh, no one goth or not could survive.
2: Gotcha. But I feel like if you t- like a, a goth being able to be seen in the darkness is a goth's pretty much biggest dream. So that's it's exciting that
1: we're already there. <laughs> that's yeah. That's very, very- it's very. You just have to have the right. It did, and certain uh, certain animals can detect infrared radiation. We just can't. Um, so like, there are species of. I don't know, maybe spiders that would be able to see the goth, is that, which seems, seems right. Is that, that seems right. There's some, there some infrared snakes
2: out there who can detect heat,
1: yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's, uh, there's also um, fire beetles that, uh, that they have a special organ for sensing heat. And it's very, I think it's similar to the, the pit organs and like a pit viper that senses heat. The, and, and they use that to go and like go to fires because they like to eat burned wood. Wow. Yeah. Oh my God.
2: Burned wood. That's, I mean, that's a lovely. I mean, the I I get it. A nice mesquite. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that makes sense.
1: I dig it. I dig it. Yeah. Well, or or whatever is going on there. <laughs> um, we, glad <laughs> that we could get we could get so so far into heat. Thank you for asking all of the best questions. Yes. Um, I uh, it's that radiation. By the way, when uh something get so hot that it starts to glow, like lava, for example, It's called black body radiation, which also feels applicable to our scenario here. Yeah. This next question comes from Anonymous who asks, I had a math test recently. I got a 37.5 out of 40. When I was checking over the paper, I saw that the teacher had made some mistakes and I felt the urge that I had to tell the teacher about it. So I did. And he was happy that I told the truth and then he deducted four marks from it. Now I know I made the right choice, but I do feel really bad for losing those four marks please help anonymous wow 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 yeah. wow i got to i got to send a little message to this teacher that like those four points on this test are not as important as that honesty that you displayed in that situation and in that i in that situation would be like thank you for being honest as a reward i will leave your test at the same score i that's that's me. I know that that's I know that's not everybody, but I feel like that's 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 such a big move. That's a big move. And I'm proud of you for making the big move. And I think you should have kept your four points for it. That's how I feel.
2: It, were I in the teacher's position, I would probably similarly decide to leave the, the score unchanged. However, I do remember being a little kid and my dad telling me a story, as he was often wont to do while we were walking sure. down the streets of New York together, which was always a fun way to receive life lessons while you were, like, a tiny person being buffeted by crowds on a, on a city street. And he told me the story of, this was some, some, like, apocryphal legend of the sailor and the loose cannon. And this idea of, like, a sailor, like, negligently... Uh, forgot to tie down a cannon on a ship, which he was supposed to do, right? And doing that Mm -hmm. could potentially get people killed. It's a huge deal to not, you know, if the ship enters combat or there's a storm, that cannon could punch a hole in the side of the ship. It's bad news. Um... But uh, sort of like when the, when the ship got into choppy water, the sailor realized the huge error and l- bravely leapt into the gun deck and uh, with the cannon swaying around wildly and risked his own life to tie the cannon up. And he tied it uh, into place. And uh, the next morning, Captain called up the sailor and was like, for your bravery, and your courage in saving the lives of your fellow crew members, we decorate you with the highest medal it is possible to decorate a sailor with. And for your negligence and failure uh, in not securing the cannon in the first place, uh, the, the the penalty is death and they threw him overboard into the ocean. <laughs> <laughs>
1: and it's, it's, a, it's a mixed blessing, you know? <laughs> it's a mixed blessing. And like a lot. Do, do, they keep, do they keep the metal on the way down? I think so. And I think that's sort of the vibe
2: is like, we're going to put this metal on yeah. you and then we're going to pick you up and throw you into the sea. And I think that there's a, I remember as a kid, I don't know, there's certain, there's certain little fables or legends that your parents tell you when you're a kid that um, are, I guess, either so
1: deeply jarring or- <laughs> <laughs> That's, I don't know that I'd hit my son with that one at at this moment.
2: Yeah, but, but I got it. Like, I grokked what he was going for, which is sort of like, Mm -hmm. like your, your, your merits and your demerits, you've got to take them all. Like, the slate, the slate never becomes clean, in other words. It's just that you, you Mm -hmm. receive all of your marks, good and bad, right? Um, but I, So this is a long meandering way of saying I would probably leave the score unchanged, but also there is a broader philosophical point that um, the thing that motivates you to do the right thing um, can be maybe kept in a separate category from your feeling about losing those marks. Like you do the right thing I, I do, like I do agree with with the the feeling that when you go to explain that that the teacher has overgraded you, you should go with the expectation that they will not keep your grades the same. You should go with the expectation that you are doing the right thing for the sake of doing the right thing. And it may, in fact, you know, hurt you. Sometimes you do the right thing, and uh, mm-hmm. and and you should not expect that, like the response will be universally positive. Sometimes you do it just because it's the right thing to do. Mm-hmm.
1: I commend you for that line of thinking. I will provide a, an addition to if if you can do that grand for you but also I'll provide the addition that this teach this is not the end of your relationship with this teacher and to and mm. to have done a good thing and done the right thing um is not uh, it, we are always trying to figure out how to be in the world together and to first of all I think that getting that signal from the student at all makes that teacher feel better about their work and their like and and the way that they are uh, the, the and and the connections that they have with students and and about students in general and it's going to make them feel better about you. Now is that going to come back and become some kind of benefit in the future? Probably not, but maybe. And also like the moving through the world in a way that sort of helps everyone feel like the world isn't a trash place is extraordinarily valuable to everyone and everything that we can do for each other to make to help each other believe that is really good because we get a lot of signals uh especially when we're not dealing one on one with people we get a lot of signals that that, that is not the case
2: the, i think this that is exactly correct i I've, i i'm like a very much of two minds in that i there's 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 the mind of, of, like, what you say to an individual, and then there's the mind of how would I make the world work. If we were in the mind of how would I make the world work, then, yeah, everyone's rewarded for honesty. You know, th- m- m- you know, if you take morality and ethics in the aggregate, then you see that we are a social animal that is really affected by incentive structures. Mm-hmm. And when you have systems and structures and patterns of human interaction that, uh, incentivize selfish behavior, it's no wonder, you know, we we are neither angels nor devils, mm-hmm. right? But if the if the the borders of the system that we're playing in funnel us into antisocial or pro-social behavior, then in the aggregate, of course, you're gonna see those results more and more. So if I was going to design a world, I would say, yes, honesty, always the best policy. Right. Um, but if I were speaking to an individual about how to how to navigate this world of forms in which uh, disappointments happen all the time, I would probably tell a friend, um, you you will guard your heart mm-hmm. more securely by not expecting to be rewarded uh, for these things, but still doing them nonetheless. Um, yes. And, and who knows? Maybe by telling the teacher that, you avoided some other worse fate. What if you'd gone up to the teacher and just, like, not said anything, and then the teacher said... Is there anything you
1: want to tell me oh, wow. about your test? That would be really cr- that's that's definitely unethical teacher behavior right there. You can you can't you can't do teacher entrapment. And then the teacher slowly draws a sword from under their desk.
2: <laughs> and they say, "Pick up your blade." And that could have <laughs>
1: happened. <laughs> that could have <laughs> happened. Yeah. I <I'll> do <laughs> I'm gl- I'm so glad that I never had to do a duel with a teacher. Like, I know that it happens, but I'm, I'm just really happy that I never got in a situation where I had to to fight to the death with, with a professor of mine.
2: Yeah, I, well, I think that that's always, it, it doesn't create the ideal learning environment to know that at any moment mm-hmm. your teacher could stand up and a wind could kick up in the classroom and blow their long robes to yeah. the side. And then in a flash of light, they've just vivisected you and all of a sudden you've
1: failed algebra one. You know, that would be terrible. Um, that's, I mean, that's a problem. It's also like, it just makes it like we're already, there's already enough of a shortage of teachers, right? We yes. don't need to be losing them in these pointless duels. Yes. Children absolutely. are strong. They're, they're lithe. They're, they're dexterous. Um, we're Los losing Angeles, all our teachers the moment they hit 50 because they can't handle it. Exactly. Los Angeles just actually passed an
2: ordinance that if you defeat one of your teachers in single combat, you become the teacher. So
1: that's- <laughs> I mean, yeah, which, which if you want that, I say, go for it. <laughs> oh, man.
2: Well, well, good. That's I'm glad that that feels solved. I think we solved that. And I think that person got exactly the answer they were looking for or of any of the answers we gave. There's certainly one that they're looking for in there. Um, <laughs> uh, this one comes to us from Mahaley. Thanks, Mahaley. Uh Dear John and Hank, sometimes I will look up reviews and ratings of the show or movie I just finished. I get really self-conscious when I really like to show and it got terrible reviews and ratings. Do I have really bad taste? Who are the critics that get to decide what is a flop? Has this ever happened to y'all?
1: Rotten Tomatoes ain't got nothing on me, Mahaley. Woo. Ah, I mean, I know this feeling. I know this mm-hmm. feeling and I do this. Um, I often sort of like... Uh, this is the worst way that I do it. Sometimes I, I read or watch something that I really like. And I like want to make sure that, like if I'm going to tweet about it, I want to make sure that I'm saying it in a way that isn't been said a bunch before or like, you know, is is like, you know, useful content for people. and And so I'll go and read a couple of reviews. And then I'm like, oh, these people got a very different thing out of this than I did. Or they didn't get, what I got out of this. Mm -hmm. And I I do my very best to, one, not let that, you know, impact how I feel about the thing, which is is impossible, of course. Mm -hmm. But also, like, to not let it discourage me from, like, raving about a thing that I love, which I will absolutely continue to do even if people who I do not know did not like it in the same way that I did. Uh, Now, there are also times when, like, something gets pointed out to me where I'm like, oh, maybe that's, like, my viewing... uh, Like, my, like, situation in life, who I am, gives me a different viewing than other people experienced, and maybe I can sort of take that into account in the way that I suggest it um, Mm. and rave about it. But, like, usually that's not the case. Usually I say I am a different person than those people, and different things are for different people. Yes. And uh, and there are a bunch of people out there who are going to love this as much as I do, and I want them to know about it. God, well, that, I
2: think that's, that's, that's the only way that you can like preserve your, your joy and sanity. Yeah, right. Uh, in yeah. the world is just to be like, yes, the things I love are for me. And I think that, I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, it's very funny. I feel like a lot of this, I, I haven't thought about this as much recently, but I remember like early 20s and teenage years, which feels like the chapter of your life where, you are kind of fashioning you, you are kind of like, how do we put it? You're 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 fashioning this suit of armor that is your identity. But especially when I was a teenager, it felt like a big part of that was what was good and what I liked. Mm-hmm. That yeah. that's like a huge identity project. And I think that so you you get into this position where you're like let me tell you you know this this fantasy property is the best and it's about to become a huge temple of my personality and then someone's like uh eh, like you know not not for me really um and <laughs> yep and you go yep. you have attacked me at the deepest core of my being and it, this will not stand um and uh so you know I think that there's a that That's a big, that's a big element of those things of like, uh, the more you attach your identity towards your consumption of something like that, the worse it gets. And now I feel like those opinions, i, I I'm trying to think of what I like still have those opinions about bad taste. I feel like I do. Get a lot of that, that bad taste feeling that like getting your dander up and and like getting your back up against a wall about having bad taste about things that are very basic. Like I feel like in my family, I'm surrounded by a lot of dark chocolate. Lovers, and as a (laughs) and as a milk chocolate, (laughs) as a so so it does that weirdly. It's like it's less so with like movies and books now. But if I'm in a room and people start going off about like, oh yes, like I got this bar of of you know ninety nine percent pure cacao, (laughs) it tastes like biting right into a bar of pure carbon, and (laughs) (laughs) this is
1: the closest I've ever gotten to a (laughs) tire. And I'm over here with
2: just a piece of like, you know, like brightly colored, like, like it couldn't be more for kids piece of milk chocolate. And that's when I really go berserk. That's when I'm like, actually, all of you are wrong and I'm right. And you need to go to the doctor for why your mouths are doing that to you. Like,
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I am I'm this way with with wine where um, the the better the wine, the more I'm like, I don't think I like want it to taste like grape flavored Sprite. Like, I just I, I, I want it to be fun and sweet and cold and not at all interesting. I have had enough interest in my life. And and I also feel this way about much of the reality television that I watch where I'm just like, I'm watching this. Because it's – and this is another thing. Here here is the thing I I deeply believe about criticism Mm -hmm. is that early on there is often lots of – so there's often lots of like new types of content that are panned critically. And then as those types of content become their own genre, people start to judge them based on their own merits. Now, this doesn't always happen. Sometimes you get areas uh, like genres of content that never get judged based on their own merits, either because there's not enough of it or almost because there's too much of it. Mm. And it's like it is it's it's so sort of like for. Broad consumption that uh, anybody who watches a lot of content and works hard to think a lot, a lot about content is going to feel like th- there isn't anything interesting here. But that's their their job is to try and like find the interesting stuff in content, and they are not they they sometimes can be looking in the wrong place, or they sometimes can just have so, like so much overexposure that they need stuff to be like too dang interesting. For it to be interesting,
2: yeah, I totally agree with that, and I also do believe that that like, um, I mean, what would you what would you call it? like this? Like the person asking this question gets really self conscious. They like to the show, and it got terrible yeah. reviews. But I do yeah. think that, like you're saying, different whether it's a show or a, a food item or any any kind of thing where you're like, oh, this is something that's like I'm I'm consuming to bring value to my life, whether it be an intellectual thing or a physical thing or whatever you go, what is the purpose of this, right? And I truly do believe in that of, like, certain things, uh, uh, you have to judge them in their proper context, right? Um, Mm -hmm. That's true with, like, uh, uh, you know, reality television. I feel like myself and my fiancé have been talking about this a lot recently in terms of scripted television because, weirdly, I feel like my... There's like this this weird no man's land that's appeared for me with scripted content at least like during the pandemic where show i I don't have any medium scripted shows anymore i'll I'll watch a new a new uh a scripted like single camera kind of show. And it will be like, I'll be like, oh, God, this is like not good. Or I'll be like, this is the best thing I've ever watched. It's like there's this incredibly <laughs>
1: high bar to clear. And yeah. if you don't achieve that bar, I'm like, this is phony. And there's I'll, too much. There's too much. Yeah. Like, why would I Why would I spend time watching something that I think is a little bit good when there's so much content that like there might be something that was made like exactly for me?
2: Yeah, a million percent. I and I I think too that this person's question is very much about like what do you do when you're in the minority and people seem to dislike stuff. What I would also like say I mean there's a very funny I remember this the, the this conversation recently about reading restaurant reviews and my uh again my wonderful fiance pulled up a review and like was reading a review and I looked at it and it was a 3 star review out of a five star system. And it was so it was this three star review. And she started to read it. And I said, I have to stop you there because because yes, we are all we're we're herd animals. We're affected by the opinions of others. You don't want to believe that you like something that other people don't like. But I said, I have to dismiss this three star review out of hand because what could be more unhinged than writing a three star review of anywhere? Like, (laughs) you... You have a short, what do you mean? You have a short human life. La- I write exclusively one-star reviews and five-star reviews. <laughs> One star reviews is that I am trying to prevent human harm. Five star yeah. reviews is the owner of the business is someone that I want to help. I like the, the I I want
1: I am I am either, <laughs> I think, <yeah>. this <laughs> needs to keep existing. I desperately want this place to not close. The idea That's what five star means. The idea that I would get home
2: from a purely average. Dinner, and I would, yeah, I would close my door, and I would go. The people need to know; they need to know that this place is right down the middle.
1: I, it's, it's an instinct. <laughs> it's an instinct I can't understand. And, and you're like, it's Olive Garden. That's what they're going for. <laughs> That's, that's their context, okay? <laughs> okay? I don't want to read a three-star review. The person that wrote this
2: review saying that they had an okay time at this restaurant did it in a room filled with
1: severed human heads, okay? There's no... <laughs> that's not <true. laughs> There's no... People are motivated by different things than you, obviously. I'm, t- I'm uh... <laughs> calling everybody out right now. If you're out here
2: writing three-star, if you are going, I need to tell people that this was eh then i then then we we must part ways you and i i can't i can't follow
1: you down that road i'm so curious now having had this conversation for too long what is what is taste and what and is there a both a positive and a negative to having developed it this is this is actually how i feel about wine i do i am not interested in developing a, like knowledge about wine because mm. it sounds expensive and, uh, like, it's not going to make my life that much better because it's not like I'm going to encounter a lot of great wine in my life unless, like, I start to orient my life in that way. And so th- so I have chosen in, a, in many different aspects of my life to not be int- that interested in the quality of a thing. Like, I don't care about how nice my car is, which is true of a lot of people. It's a utilitarian thing. Mm-hmm. I don't. Uh, like, I don't care about how ni- nice my wine is. I, I'm not, i not—I, like, really admire the beauty and craftsmanship of a nice, like, fancy mechanical wristwatch. But, like, I'm never going to be interested in that to a level where I'm going to, like, buy one. Because it seems like just a way of, uh, of turning my—like, orienting my life in a way where I'm, like, sort of— Like, I could be knowledgeable about so many things. I don't know why I would choose to suddenly be knowledgeable about that thing. And so I think that there is, I think that we also need to accept that there are areas of our lives where we don't need to have good taste. Hank, you are, you're preaching the gospel, my man. You
2: are, you are saying exactly how I feel about almost everything. When I, my, my, my like meal preferences, right? If <laughs> the best indication that I will enjoy a restaurant is if that restaurant is mostly empty. I do not want to go. <laughs> I do not want to go. Where,
1: the main. <laughs> my main problem is if this is going to take a long time.
2: 100%. 100%. <laughs> I want a restaurant where, we will be able to walk in and sit down immediately, where the staff at that restaurant will not be super stressed and having a terrible time, and yeah. uh, and the um, uh, and I want a place where and again and I would say the, on, on a meal by meal basis, number one predictor of whether I will enjoy a meal or not uh, is is it heavy? If the meal is heavy, I will enjoy it. Right? You can cut a lot <laughs> you of. You mean like literally, like weight, like has mass. I, here's, here's when a meal gets good for me. If that meal could be placed in a paper bag, if that Uh paper bag were then dropped from a height of, let's say, five feet above my head, onto my Uh head, Uh if I were completely okay, then that meal (laughs) is disappointing. I would, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> heavy meals at empty restaurants. This is where joy
1: lies. Um, <laughs> which reminds me that this rest, this podcast is actually brought to you by heavy meals at empty restaurants. Uh, av- available at every Olive Garden. <laughs>
2: We also want to thank today, obviously, um, our one of our other podcast sponsors, uh, Classroom Combat, uh, a series of internet lectures uh, teaching you different forms and martial arts to uh, defeat teachers that have set up, you know, clever ruses and traps. Uh, mm-hmm. To, to test your ethics while they are testing your mathematics, STEM, humanities, uh, et cetera. Uh, just remember that um, with a little bit of knowledge, uh, can go a long, long way uh, towards being the last one standing uh, on top of a beautiful sunset mountain <laughs> as, uh, as the teacher you have bested in combat turns into a small whirlwind of blossoms and congratulates you on now becoming mm. um, your uh, middle school's uh, social studies
1: teacher. So there you go. The podcast is also brought to you by a warm goth in the sun. A warm goth in the sun, glowing, but invisibly. (laughs) As well as uh, a well-tied cannon.
2: Tired of being thrown into the sea by your incredibly (laughs) strict captain, who's, I guess, trying to teach you a lesson in the last (laughs) few moments of your life?
1: Make sure that cannon's strapped down with a well-tied cannon today.
0: Blueland is on a mission to eliminate single-use plastic by reinventing cleaning essentials to be better for you and for the planet with the same powerful clean that you're used to. Blueland products are effective and affordable, and their toilet tablets are proven to work on a wide range of toilet stains, including rust, mineral deposits, lime scale, and hard water. And you can even get more savings by buying refills in bulk or setting up a subscription. Blueland has a special offer for our listeners. Right now, you can get 15% off your first order by going to blueland.com slash dearhank. You won't want to miss this blueland.com slash dear Hank for 15% off. That's blueland.com slash dear Hank to get 15% off.
2: Dear John and Hank. And by the way, I'm going to always say John and Hank because that's what's written here. And I'm reporting faithfully. But Grace, my sincere apologies. John's not answering this one, baby. It's me. Okay. And that's them's the breaks. Um, Dear John and Hank. I work at a tiny ice cream truck where I always work alone. Oh, my God, this is starting like a fairy tale. Um, I work at a tiny ice cream truck where I always work alone. It's not very busy, so most of the time I'm sitting doing nothing. When I started, I was never told whether or not I could have free ice cream while I work. Mm. I don't want to ask because I'm eternally terrified of talking to people of authority. Should I just take ice cream or wallow in perpetual sadness, staring at ice cream, the love of my life, for hours on end? I want (laughs) ice cream, Grace. This is like a Hemingway short story. This is one of the most beautifully written questions I think I've ever seen. This is, uh, Grace, you really took me on a journey, and I feel like I understand your heart, and I totally get it.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, so there's... You, I think Brennan may disagree with me. You have two options. Mm-hmm. You can either talk to your boss about whether or not you can have free or discounted ice cream, or, and this is a little rough, you can be your own customer and buy some ice cream, and then you're not staring at it anymore, and you're putting that Otter Pop direct into your mouth. But 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 it is being it is being uh, taken out of the the dollars that you have just put into the cash register. Cause you can be, you can be a customer of a restaurant or any business that you uh, are employed by. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But Um, I would suggest taking a scary hour. Do you know what a scary hour is? What's the scary hour? The scary hour is the hour that you spend every day or on a day that you choose, depending on your tolerance for scary. It's the day, it's the hour you choose to do all the scary things that you've been not doing. Calling to, to cancel that subscription talking to your boss about whether or not you can eat the ice cream um, or emailing that person about that thing that you need to get done that you haven't gotten done yet. Wow. Scary hour. Wow. Um, I love
2: scary hour. What a great way to think about that. And I think, Grace, I fully understand uh, the, the, the being terrified of talking to people of authority. I think to break this down into some actionable principles. Anytime you're looking at a decision tree, you're looking at sort of a flow sheet of options. If one of the one of the forks on your path is wallow in perpetual sadness, I think we X that. Mm-hmm. I think we just X that from yeah. every mm-hmm. decision tree. Um, you know, uh we we can we can work around that in some other way. Um and you know, I think in that scary hour, so, so context, uh, my very first job of all time was I worked as a cashier at a grocery store to save up enough money to go to summer camp. Um, Uh, Mm -hmm. By the way, uh, one day, uh, some of the people in line at my register were uh, the people that were running the summer camp, and they told me that um, the camp I had been saving up money for had been canceled. And so I uh, rang them out and shut down my register and walked to the office and quit that very moment. I gave my two weeks notice um, because Mm -hmm. that job was really hard, and we were not allowed to sit down and it was long, long hours. And also, mm-hmm. I, there was a, a little, they had little lunches over by, like, the deli counter. And there were a couple of times where I would get a lunch because I was told I had an employee discount. And I realized that um, even with the employee discount, I was usually spending somewhere between, like, tw- 20 to 40% of my after-tax right. pay yeah. buying my lunch at mm-hmm. work. Um and uh, yeah. it made me very sad. So there's a big part of me with that kind of sense memory of that experience that would just tell you, Grace, um, steal ice cream. That would be my advice.
1: Um, and and just for clarity, if John were here, <laughs> that would be that would also, I think, be his take. He would be ragging on me right now and being like, Hank, are you for real? Grace gotta eat that ice cream. And also, uh, I used to work at Walmart where it was very hot, I would go out and push carts, and that was one of parts of my job, and I would come in and then I would have a little bit of fountain soda from the little cafe that was in the Walmart. And then I was told by my boss that I was not allowed to have fountain soda and could have water. And that did seem a little extreme and, uh, and very upsetting to me at the time, where I was like, are you serious about yes. that? But they were they made me um stop. but i also
2: understand that probably if you have if you have a fear of like speaking to authority figures that it's, it's, I feel like it's a rare person who is like, well, listen, I had this anxiety around asking for favors from authority figures. So I'm going to boldly steal from them. I feel like that doesn't, there's, you know, there's,
1: <laughs> I get it. I don't know. I bet there's overlap ah, there, there for sure. It's like
2: <laughs> my social anxiety is enormous. My theft anxiety, remarkably low. Um,
1: uh, there's, uh, you're all by yourself in an ice cream truck. Apparently, like I would be concerned. I will. I will say they may do inventory on the ice cream, Grace. I don't know if they do, but they may do inventory, and they may know if some ice cream started to disappear. I also had a friend in high school who worked at Steak and Shake, uh, which, if you don't have it, is like a like a Denny's, but maybe a little nicer. I don't know. I think so, and they don't. And at Steak and Shake, they do inventory on a lot of things, but they don't do inventory on soups, shakes, mm-hmm. or fries. So that's what we ate, and we ate it for Jesus. free. Jesus. <laughs> okay.
2: Um, well, first of all, I got to say uh, Steak and Shake, incredible. Love. There was there was one in New York. Steak oh, and Shake. Mwah, I miss Beautiful. It. Um, yeah. So, I I think it's two things here, right? Um, I'm of the opinion that certainty always beats uncertain. Like, anxiety comes from ambiguity, for me at Mm. least.
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: So I think no matter what happens... Speaking to your employers is going to set the set the record straight. And that's actually a positive thing. So even though you have that anxiety around that, I think you could say, you know, it's it's actually I don't think it's that unusual of a request, right? A lot of places have staff meal. Um, I worked at a bar for a while where it was the very first bar I ever worked at. And we got paid even even like our staff you know, sub minimum wage due to tips pay was like withheld and there was weird stuff going on. And my my one act of rebellion because we had staff meal that was from a buffet table is I basically was like, well, if they're gonna sort of like screw us out of this, you know, the money that we're owed, I'm going to quadruple my salary in steak every day. And I'm gonna eat as much of the big ticket items I'm, go, you know, like I'm going to try to hit them in the pocketbook in terms of what I'm eating. Um, we're going to see a running theme of my relationship to uh, food and mass and heaviness here. Um, <laughs> but, um, but I think in your circumstances, Grace, the the thing to do might be talk to them and say, "Hey, is there some kind mm-hmm. of staff meal here? Like when I when I do a shift in the ice cream truck, um, I'm like, you know, I'm like running around for a long time. Would it be? Is there is it's hot, It's hot. Maybe. is there and and I I don't think it's unto because of course, like the amount they're paying for the ice cream, it's like a, a fraction of what it's being sold for. It's probably something that's yes. that is not that h- difficult to ask for. And then you'll have an answer. And the answer is either like, oh, of course, like help yourself, you know, like, or like, yeah, if you want like, like once a shift, if you want to da-da-da-da, and then you have your answer. And if the answer is that is not your ice cream. How dare you? My my father and my father's father (laughs) discovered this ice cream at the bottom of the ocean and whatever kind of thing they're going to say. Then you know, ah, I'm dealing with, you know, cold-hearted villains. And then you can feel (laughs) absolutely justified in being like, not only am I going to eat ice cream, but I will actually don a, a mask. And at night I will, you know, to the neighborhood children, I will throw ice cream like a kind of frozen confection Robin Hood. You know, so then you have your answer either way. And I think it it dispels the ambiguity, which is the main thing.
1: All right. I have a last question before we get to the news from Mars and not AFC Wimbledon, because John's not here. This is from Rebecca, who asks, Dear Hank and Brennan. It doesn't say that, but I'm not Mm -hmm. faithful. So what what is written? If I open an umbrella inside my car, is that bad luck or is that strictly a house-based phenomenon? Unluckily or not, Rebecca. Rebecca, it's... mm. Brian, why why is it unlucky to open an umbrella in a house? Okay, because I've got thoughts. Because I think it's unlucky to open an umbrella in your house because you're about to go Mr. Bean on that vase.
2: Now I'm now here's the funny thing we we have sort of been shooting from the hip on some of these answers, right? okay this yeah, yeah. question hit some deep superstitious Irish part of my soul and it actually prompted me to open a window in a browser because I am not going to um be glib and fuck around with this person asking questions about luck luck is I there are very few universal forces I that I believe in luck one of them so so, Yes. Wow. Um, because I think I think uh-huh. luck is sort of indisputable, right? Luck is the name we give to the incalculable forces of chance that govern all of the elements of our lives outside of our individual
1: control, right? Do you want to know a weird thing? So, yes, and there are many of those things. And uh, without doubt— and and by by virtue of the fact that you have uh, a, a device with which to listen a podcast to on, uh, we have all experienced our share of luck here here today. Um, but I I have there. This is a really interesting study, and i I wonder if you've heard of it. There uh is there was a study done, and the basis of it was. Um, here's a newspaper and you have to tell me the number of times that like something happens in this newspaper. I don't know, like the word the appears mm-hmm. in a headline. And so you have to like mark down how many times the word the appears in a headline. You go through the whole newspaper and you see how fast it, it takes. Um, and there are people who self-reported being lucky uh, before doing that were the were much more likely to see that one of the headlines said there are 41 instances of the word the in this paper. And that, so like there was a way that you could, there was like a cheat way, and they were much more likely to see it, indicating that they were just more open to the possibility of gaining or gathering insight in new and different ways. So this is not about whether or not luck exists. It's about whether like people's experience of luck, which is a very different thing. I think that'll like, you know, obviously luck very much exists, but luckiness. Seems to oftentimes be about uh, like the people's experience of luckiness, like me feeling like a lucky person, which I do, tends to be uh, it, actually something that might be innate in the person rather in their experiences.
2: Wow! 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 That's that wild? very wild. Holy smokes! Um, well, yeah, I, and I certainly, I certainly um, uh, agree with that. I don't know that I believe in. Luckiness. I can kind of definitively say, like, I think it's possible to believe in luckiness after the fact. If someone goes on an incredible streak, you can go, yeah, they were incredibly lucky. Mm -hmm. But I think having something that you can determine ahead of time, that that doesn't strike me as true. But it feels, I I don't know, I believe like a belief in luck of some kind is one of the only ways that I can make the universe make sense, where you go, like, it just feels like an acknowledgement. of the forces outside of human control and it's one of the kinder ways of describing that because it's so imp- it's so impersonal yeah. and i think when you and it's so unjust well, and it, it it explains injustice in a lot of yeah. ways, right? It mm-hmm. explains like, oh, that's because I think if you start going, you know, it's it's the it's the old like, what is that, Candide? Like, we live in the best of all possible worlds, and if you believe that you live in the, the best of all possible worlds, then you're suddenly left trying to explain all of the horrifying things that happen, and that gets immediately indefensible, right? At least to me. Um, uh, to the to the question about umbrellas, I think it is. This, I think the superstition... <laughs> to, to the umbrellas. To the umbrellas. Yeah, we're talking about ethics, blah, 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 whatever. L- listen, we need to talk about where it's bad to open umbrellas. Um, in a lot of the language I'm finding, mm-hmm. it doesn't mention a house.
1: It says the inside.
2: Tr- inside. And specifically, I'm seeing indoors. Now, not to open a whole... like Ooh, wow. You
1: know, All right, a whole
2: hot dog is a sandwich kind of question. Hey... I don't, I don't, I don't care who you are. I don't care who you are. If you're telling me
1: that cars don't have doors, <laughs> you're dreaming, pal. <laughs> cars got doors. Oh, okay, wh- okay. Brennan, convertibles have doors. Are you indoors in a convertible with the top down? Um, you're in, this is- You're uh, you're surrounded by doors. Now here's the deal. This is an edge case.
2: You are not technically indoors while you are within the closed doors of a convertible. So However, you have
1: is, you have proved thus that it's not about the doors or have I proved simply that
2: uh, the doors of a convertible do not close because there is
1: no upper edge to the door frame. Of <laughs> do <a convertible. laughs> you cannot you you'd rather argue that you can't close the doors of a convertible. It is impossible to close the doors of a convertible and I'll die on this hill. Um, Unless the top is up, in which case, the moment you take the top down, the doors open again. And I would say it is bad luck
2: to open an umbrella inside of a convertible with the top down and also potentially rude because the top of a convertible is essentially an umbrella and you're being disrespectful to the car.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so if the top is, if the top is up in, an umbre- in, a, in a convertible, you can open the umbrella inside of the car. If the top is down, the top is you, down. If nothing, the top is da- nothing between you and the sun, nothing between you and the, the sky or the, sun, or the
2: rain. I guess or the rain. And if you want to fly down the highway at eighty <laughs> miles an hour with the top down in a driving thunderstorm with your umbrella <laughs> up against the sky, <laughs> that's, here's that's the not weird unlucky. Thing. It's not unlucky on principle. I do think bad things will happen <laughs> to you.
1: <laughs> but, but, if the, but if the top is up and, and and you are protected from the rain, you cannot open the umbrella until it is outside of the car. That is absolutely correct. And it's because of the simple fact that when the top is up,
2: the doors are actually closed. When the top and you you is closed, you are down, in
1: those doors and thus yes. indoors. And thus indoors. Exactly. I like I never thought about how indoors was just like just a way of saying that I'm I'm inside of a of a door. I'm inside of a I'm door. I'm on the I'm inside of a door, and then and when I'm outdoors, I'm outside of a door. Yes,
2: absolutely. I totally agree.
1: That and there, there was, is that was, and there is that moment on the threshold where the door is open and you're standing there, where you are nowhere. Yes, you
2: are. You are neither here nor there. This was a weird a weird argument I remember having some t- not an argument, but it was, it was sort of one of those like philosophical questions that people get surprisingly heated about, uh-huh. which was which was sort of like. What I remember it was something like, What is the point of a door? And someone was like to open, and someone was like, The point of a door is to close. And it was like, How can Ooh. you make uh, how can you yeah. make that thing? And they were like, The point of an archway is to provide passage through two yeah. areas of a um. house. The door is something you add to an archway in order to temporarily
1: seal that entrance. So that it can be closed. So a door so is about closing, not about opening.
2: Which is a little bit of a bummer, and I can't tell you why. There's just something about the poetry of that yeah, that makes I'd me quite rather, sad.
1: I'd rather doors be about opening, but here we are. In this world, as it exists,
2: in this world as it exists, which is
1: why in my home we exclusively have bead curtains. Yeah, and I took our front door off ages ago, uh, which does make it very <laughs> cold in the winter, and the heating bills are wild. But it does mean you can open as many umbrellas as you want in your house and never get unlucky. <laughs> Forgot that the, <laughs> you're, that that now I'm outdoors because the door is open and I'm out of it. Apparently, I remain and always have been since the beginning of this conversation on team. Inside of a car is not indoors. That's wow. the inside of a car. That's and I would like to hear people's opinions on this. My Twitter is at Hank Green, and mm-hmm. <laughs> I want to know to what extent I am wrong. But I feel like that indoors is in a home. In a car is in a car. That's not indoors, even though I am indoors.
2: I would say that we have to go by by the letter of the law here. You know, when you're inside of a car, you are not necessarily at home unless that car is your home. Brendan,
1: I am almost certain that there is no law about this. But maybe well, there is. If there is a lawyer out there who who has has litigated the term indoors, and that does not seem impossible... Please let us know Mm. if you had if if you were if you were on the phone with your friend
2: and Uh you were uh, let's say that you were hanging out in your car cars parked you're in Uh a parking lot maybe you have the AC on maybe you're just on your phone Um, and a friend asked where are you shot you a text being like hey where are you right now where would you respond to tell them that you are I'm in my car you're in your car. And I think the in is the, like, in other words, would it be inaccurate if someone texted you saying I'm inside the car?
1: No, that would be fine. If they said then, I'm indoors, I would be like, you are currently in a building. And I would also say that's a weird response. <laughs> is not a car a building? Question No. Mark. No. <laughs>
2: Oh, <laughs> okay. I think you. I think you're taking big swings, and I think that. I think that. I think that when we actually get to court and we actually litigate this, you're going to be surprised
1: by what the evidence suggests, which is that cars are buildings and houses are vehicles. <laughs> I I just went to a, a a Science Direct article. So this is a this is a journal article from Transportation Research, uh, uh, it, which is a, a journal, a real journal, mm-hmm. and this article is from. 2011, and it says in a scientific peer-reviewed article, cars are buildings, building like energy use in automobiles. Uh, so, so to Valerie Thomas, principal investigator on this article, first author, uh, I'd, like to, I'd like to say you're wrong and we can fight about it.
2: <laughs> All I'm saying is this, you know, any, any categorical that you want to put on it. OK, what is a building? A building, a building team. doesn't move like that's the main one. Oh, so if you were to see a truck carrying a house down the highway and that house was moving, that would not be a building? Were you on debate team? <laughs> and may I remind you, Mr. Green, that as our planet <laughs> orbits the sun and the sun moves throughout our galaxy, that all buildings are moving constantly. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, <laughs> the, the points have been scored. <laughs> All right, uh, this week in news from Mars, it has to end at some point. It might as well be now. Uh, is a uh, great, very attractive look. So much of of uh, good science is pictures. Um, And aren't we all very lucky for that? Uh, Having looked and admired the James Webb Space Telescope pictures, you can now look and admire pictures from the European Space Agency that was taken by the Mars Express Orbiter of the largest canyon in our solar system. It's the Valles Marineris Canyon System. It's 10 times longer, 20 times wider than the Grand Canyon. And thanks to 3D imaging capabilities of the orbiter... So we can actually take pictures in 3D. Scientists estimate that there are spots that are five times deeper than the Grand Canyon. Uh, you can look at these pictures uh, by looking uh you can look at these pictures by googling things you would expect to Google, and you can actually take this data and sort of turn it on its side, so it looks like we're sort of looking at it as if we were on the side of the canyon or above the canyon, all you know, wherever we want to do it, which is awesome. Uh, so this is just new data that has been crunched into beautiful images, just like James Webb Space Telescope pictures. And uh, thanks to the European Space Agency for doing that great work and helping us understand what the heck is going on here because it is not like the Grand Canyon, which is created by a river. It was actually thought to be created by just like a crack that formed between tectonic plates back when Mars had those. doesn't anymore. And along the floor of the canyon in, in the image, you could see like jagged rocks that would have formed there as the plates actually pulled apart. Wild that planets just create themselves, and we end up with these beautiful wild features. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Wait, it doesn't have tectonic plates anymore? No, it's tectonically locked, Mars. Is that just like... Which is not unusual. Um, it, it, it it appears that that our way of doing it is, uh, as planets go, more weird.
2: Wow. Oh, my God. So, okay, so, so Mars is locked. I, I have to assume there's still... that that there's still magma or lava. I mean, what does the core of Mars look like? Do we know?
1: Yeah, it is still liquid in there. um, But the... the, So, like, you have to have a lot of convection and the the crust of Earth is very thin. Mm -hmm. um, And it could... Uh, you know, and eventually, as the Earth continues to cool off, which it does do, I don't know if this will happen before like our solar system explodes or not. But it would eventually happen. Uh, enough heat would leave that uh, the plates would stop, like convection. That kind of convection would stop, and Earth would also lock up, mm-hmm. which would be a problem because plate tectonics is actually pretty important for a lot of things on Earth. Wow!
2: Wow! 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 I'm just I, I, I'm 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 a little
1: stunned. I'm just sitting here. Uh, well, yeah. Hachi Machi. There are, there is the we are the only planet with plate tectonics in the solar system, and there are two moons that kind of do, but they're ice moons. So they have like the the it's like ice crust, which I guess you could say is plate tectonics. It's not any different from um not having it like it's just it's just ice rock instead of rock rock. Ice rock. Ice is a rock.
2: Ice is a rock. I guess so, right? Ice rock instead of rock rock. Well, I love our little rock, rock planet, and for some reason, I now have a strange association of pride with tectonic plates, which have only ever brought me uh, concern and anxiety in the past. So now, I suddenly have a weird. Oh, they're
1: great. <laughs> they I mean, I like on the short term, they are. They like can cause a lot of problems, <laughs> but in the long t- in the long term, they're, they're extraordinarily necessary for recycling of of minerals and uh, keeping the planet vibrant and interesting. And uh, it seems to be quite good for life. Wow, way to go. Extract te- all those minerals. Way to yeah. go, tectonic plates. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks, buddies. That's awesome. Uh, Brennan, thank you so much for joining me uh for this episode of Dear hang john a-,
2: a joy, a privilege, an honor, a pleasure. Uh uh I hope we I hope we helped some people today and um, you know, uh I just want everyone to remember that if you believe in yourself, you can be anything. Just like every car is a building, and every building is a vehicle, and that yeah. it, you know
1: you can. You know, and every every student is a potential social studies teacher.
2: He, all you need is a sword. All you need is a magical sword given to you by uh, one of the staff, and
1: then and then off you go. Uh, beautiful beautiful. if you want to send us questions you can do that at hankandjohn at gmail.com uh, we don't have a podcast without questions so thank you all so much for sending them in this podcast is edited by Joseph Tunamedish it's produced by Rosiana Hals-Rojas our communications coordinator is Julia Bloom our editorial assistant is Deboki Chakravarti the music you're hearing now and at the beginning of the podcast is by the great Gunnarolla and as they say in our hometown, don't, don't forget to, to be awesome also.